Discussing Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Discussing Trek, a Star Trek podcast. Today, we're here to review season three, episode eight of Star Trek Discovery, The Sanctuary. Like always, I'm your host, Clarence, and I'm joined by my fellow co-host, Slash Trekkies. Starting with none other than the Who's Story himself, Cal Jones. How you doing, man? Clarence Brown, I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm glad to be here. Yeah, man. Yeah, I, I'm doing well, man. Ha- happy to have you on once again, dude. Well, happy to be here and can't wait to hear what you guys think about this episode. <laughs> <laughs> also on the podcast, we have the Trek Story himself from the Ready Room Studios, Jonathan Shorts. How you doing? Man, I am fantastic tonight. I had a day off today. I have a day off tomorrow that only comes around every Lunar New Year. So I'm ecstatic. Awesome sauce. Well, guys, you can support the show by subscribing, leaving a review and telling a friend. If you have a review idea, please send that along. And with anything else you might want us to know to fans at DiscussingTrek.com or at DiscussingTrek on any and all social medias. We will get right into our review of Star Trek Discovery, The Sanctuary. The Sanctuary is the eighth episode of season three of Star Trek Discovery. It aired on December 3rd, 2020, and it was directed by Jonathan Frakes. The story is written by Kenneth Lynn, who also will pin an upcoming episode of this season, as well as many episodes of the Netflix show, The House of Cards. And it was also co-written by Brandon Schultz who wrote the short trek, The Girl Who Made the Stars, and has been a staff writer for the entire season. Burnham and the USS Discovery crew travel to Book's home planet to help rescue it from Osira, the formidable leader of the Emerald Chain. Spoilers. Red alert. All hands stand to battle station. What gives you the right? You cannot destroy an idea. At ease before you sprain something. Cal Jones, would you please give us the story beats of this episode, sir? So I can sum up this entire episode in one question. Are you ready for it? Uh Uh-oh. I will ask this question. Where's the bucket of water when you need it? I totally don't get it. Did we watch the same episode? (laughs) Yes, we did. Okay, I'm sure you will come back around at the end of the episode and give us the explanation for that one. Yes, indeed. And I will look for the bucket of water as we talk. You about won't this. find it because we needed one. We really needed one in this episode because, but, but, but we did not have a bucket of water because it would have been over at the beginning. If you would have had a bucket of water, just saying 1939, all I'm saying, I'm still confused. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we, we will revisit at the end, but, but, but the clues are there. 1939 bucket of water. 19- Was there a fire? <laughs> we'll come back at the end <laughs> again. Do we watch the same? <laughs> Absolutely, and it will totally make sense. With that said, let's well, go Google in 1939. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, with that said, let's go around the horn and get everybody's overall thoughts on the episode. And John, what are your thoughts on the episode, sir? Uh, same as previously, another great episode. Um, another classic trick episode. We were presented with a problem when we came up with a solution and the solution ended up being basically the morals of Starfleet to save the day. So all good for me. All good for me. And we've seen some character development a little bit. Yeah, 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 we did. No doubt. What about you, Cal Jones? 
I will agree with everything Jonathan just said. You saw some character development. You saw some storyline progression. And was it the best episode? No, but it was solid and it was enjoyable. So enjoyed it. Hmm. Yeah, with all that being said, this was my least favorite episode of the season by far. I mean, wow. like, not even close. And it's weird for me because I really want to like the book stuff or the book stories, but the book stories have been the, uh, <laughs> the best so far. It's really, I'm really struggling here, man. Um, yeah, I did. I did not love this. I do think there were a lot of good tidbits that we got from this episode. But I just, you know, the whole thing with Books Planet, I don't, I, it just didn't tickle my fancy. But as always, we'll get into it. So we start the episode by addressing Giorgio's visions head on as she is now in the care of Dr. Culper. Culper, you know, he said something very interesting that I heard at the very beginning of the episode saying that he, are the visions physiological, psychological, temporal, or interdimensional did that spark any of your your interest there when he mentioned that little tidbit i mean that i think it was a valid question to ask seeing as you know who the patient was yeah yeah i mean that i mean i think that just kind of kind of had to be a question like with Giorgio, you have to count that there's another totally different dimension that this problem could be stemming from yeah Especially in wake of what Kovic said about the rifting or the the severing of the the pathway to the mirror universe, I found that little tidbit there kind of interesting. But I'm sure we'll get more of that. Kyle, what did you think about the new medical technology we saw in this episode? Oh, I thought it was cool. I think it revisits some of the points that I've made talking about how things you know change in 900 years. I think it did a good job of recapping that. And some of it just honestly looked freaking awesome. Yeah, it really did. You know, you get to see Michelle Yeoh in the, the, but uh, a hologram, it's sort of like an x-ray machine, but she's in the freaking bodysuit <laughs> to do it. I thought that all was pretty cool and interesting. And on top of that, when they got ready to knock her out, the sedative was instantaneous, not, you know, not like oh, she's falling. It was like oh, she's gone. Well, I have I have to I have to say that's probably not that big of a stretch. So I just had a a procedure done not long ago, and I remember the anesthesiologist coming in and she gave me a little shot in IV. She said, uh, "This is going to be something to kind of calm you down, to relax you." And I said, okay. And she put it in the IV. And I swear to you, I looked up at her and that's the last thing I remember. <laughs> well, to make you feel better, when I had my surgery a couple of years ago, you described the exact same experience I had. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've been knocked out a few times, but it seems like I always get to at least six before I'm gone. You know, there's a count backwards from 10, you know. So, yeah, I've had a similar experience as well. You know, just count backwards and then moments later, wake up in pain. That's You're how right. it usually goes they probably hit her with an elephant trunkle over <laughs> listen they needed to i was sick of her in this scene oh i love her she, she was just being a little bit too sassy don't you think yeah no just, no like no, and no. you can tell it was just a deflection because she was uncomfortable in the situation and i get it but i was like okay just shut up for a minute just shut up 
Yeah, it was, it's her defense mechanism. This is her acting out when threatened. Mm-hmm. Let me just say she is quickly becoming one of my favorite characters. Just saying. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, yeah, uh, honestly, I didn't enjoy, enjoy her as much in this episode. Maybe it was some of the a little too, too much sassiness, um, especially, you know, when she's trying to be helped. But that's like we've seen with almost every, every character this season Everybody going through something and and Giorgio is no different. Um, She's trying to find herself through it all and, you know, possibly facing death uh, on top of that. Um, So we did get this one scene where, you know, her face kind of jolts out. And I'm wondering, is that part of the technology or is that something else? Cobra and Dr. Pollard seem to be surprised that it happened. So did that jump out to any of you guys? I know we talked about it before because it was on the trip or the next song for this episode. So any thoughts on that? No, but I swear I've seen that before and I don't know where, you know, it looks to me like, you know, when they're, and this isn't on a person, but you know how, when you've seen the similar technology used when, You've got a, you know, they walk in a room, they're on a table and it's supposed to be a map and it starts building whatever it is they're about to look at. It's a similar type of effect. That's what that reminded me of. But to answer your question about George Joe's character, I'm not sure if they were shocked or not. I think they played it to where we asked the question because we don't know. Yeah. 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 It was interesting nonetheless. So we get these continued visions from her as well. Once again, we get the Terran imagery. We get the young, seemingly young Michelle Yeoh slash Giorgio there. Uh, get a dagger on the table and we get a bloody person in some suit and her yelling, Sen! Um <laughs> So again, is this is this a suppressed memory or what? Let me answer your question maybe by asking another question. And this is maybe, well, this is to both of you, but Jonathan, since you're our Trek story, and this may be more appropriate to ask you, other than the captain from the first season of Discovery, and we don't know how long, or I don't remember how long he was over there, how do we know of a Terran who has stayed in the mirror, our version of the mirror universe for an extended period of time. I don't uh, think you yeah. mean in nor- in the normal universe, you saying? Yeah. Yes. Uh so the only one that sticks out to me was uh Tom Riker. But he was a clone, right? Yes, but it was a transporter accident. Yeah, I guess that wouldn't count. I mean it happened in the alternate universe and he came back. So so, so let me but no I guess that's it. So let me say why I even asked that question. I'm wondering if the physiology differences between one version of reality and the other is causing her to have some type of physiological, psychological effect that's basically, quote unquote, making the bad person good because of where she is. The positive being effective, affecting the negative, so to speak. So before we go on, let me ask Cal Jones, has he seen the preview teaser for the next episode? No, No, I haven't. Oh, wow. If if you haven't, you are freaking brilliant. (laughs) 
I, I swear to you, I have not seen it because remember, Apple TV does not show the teaser. Yeah, but it was on the ready room. Yeah, but I hadn't watched it. So, yeah. Wow. If you had. Wow. OK, <laughs> I'll leave it at that uh, and leave it for the listeners to go research the ready room episode for the next on preview themselves. But good analysis, Cal. Thank you. Good sir. Analysis. <laughs> so, yeah, Giorgio, think, Giorgio thinks she's dying from her scans. We get that a little later on the episode. Let's go on to book and him going on home to Kui Jin in this episode uh, after 15 years when his planet is threatened by Osira. So I got a quick question first on, you know, just general, uh, I guess, Kui Jin question and the trans worms. So the trans worms keep confusing me. I, I'm really confused on this. Do we have a clue why the trans worms are so valuable? This was the whole first episode was about rescuing this trans worm. And apparently these guys wanting it. Now, I was thinking they wanted it to eat, but it's got to be more than that, right? I'm sure they're trying to harness that power, that mental telepathy power they have. Hmm. Maybe the trans worms on their planet feed into the entire imp- Telepathic slash telepathic feel they have, maybe? Maybe. If that power can be harnessed, maybe. I don't know. But it just seems funny to me that Asira would want these, you know, so much so she's going to rescue these planets just, just to get their transworms. It seems like it has to be some other part of that we're not seeing, you know? It may have something to do with dilithium. Or it could be nothing more as just an easy, clean way of of execution. Yeah, that too. Yeah. Huh. I'm just thinking on that because it just seems like they are holding you just a little bit too valuable to be, you know. Uh, again, like in the first episode, it seemed like they were just trying to eat it. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So we know on this mission that Saru suggests that they go in as observers and they are ordered not to engage. And this, I guess, is maybe a good question for you, John. How much of the original Federation mandate for Starfleet do you think still is still in play at play in 3189? I don't think they explore. I'm really not sure on the scientific part. And even the diplomatic part, I don't think still exists. So what what are your thoughts on the current state of how the Federation operates? You know, I, technically they can't. I mean, this Federation charter or the prime directive or whatever you want to call it. I mean, that was based around a fleet that could travel the stars willingly. I mean, that pretty much everything was based on their ability to be able to get from one place to another in a reasonable amount of time. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm going through Enterprise now again, and I mean, the Enterprise NX-01 was the first warp-capable f- ship in fleet, and it goes warp five. Yeah. And that was amazing. Like, the best you could see in other species was like 1.8. So, I mean, I think that makes a big difference. And without that, I mean, how can that, how can those ideals still be held? And, and also, I mean, those ideals were held and kind of enforced because of the technological power of Starfleet and they don't have that anymore. So there's no one that will respect it because they can't force them to. So you just have to agree that you will respect it. So, I mean, I think all it's lost. I'm glad to see them trying to make it happen again, but yeah, it's, it's kind of curious to me because in some ways I think they still have that techno technological prowess. Um, but 
I think it all just boils down to the lack of dilithium in a lot of ways. But it's just kind of sad to see them lose everything except being the defender. To right. Yeah. I mean, you just, it just can't. It's just like we have we have the best weapons in the world, but we can't get them overseas. Yeah. And we're good, are we? We can't force anything. We can't control policy overseas if we can't get there. If we can't get there. Well, let's go ahead and dive a little bit more into Kui Jim. Uh, we learned that Asira is actually preying on pre-warp civilizations, which I'm kind of weirded that weirded out that they said that because it doesn't seem like Book's planet, Kui Jim, is pre-warp since Book got off the planet. But be that as it may. Uh, but soon after Discovery arrives and uh, Osiris' ship, the Viridian, arrives or is on his way as well. So let's go ahead and dissect the mission to Kui Jim. What are our thoughts on Book's people, in particular his brother, Kahim? Any thoughts on Kahim, Kyle Jones? I liked the dynamic a little bit, but they didn't. The actor that was playing the brother didn't gel to me for some reason. You know, like maybe bad casting for some reason. I, I, I just didn't didn't feel the connection between the two of them that much. Interesting, you would say that. Yeah, and 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 and, and let me preface <laughs> by saying it's not because of the colored, uh, you know, the skin tone difference. No, 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 no. Because I feel I feel the same way about Asira. You know, I just feel like. The casting in those two roles just felt off for him. And I don't even blame him in particular. Everything on Kui Jim just seemed like it was somebody's expensive house in the forest. You know, <laughs> it didn't seem Star Trek at all to me. It The place they were at when they were on a planet, this is like somebody's living room to me. It just it just felt weird out of place. Uh, so. Yeah, I don't blame the actor one bit. It's just I think everything about Book and and or Tariq and and um, and and, and Kwai Jim, it just felt off, and I can't really put my finger on it to be honest. Yeah, and, and I go back to saying I think it's it's one of those, and it's no fault of either actor, but I think it's it's where you've cast a person for a one-off perhaps role that they don't have that chemistry with the person that they, you know, were set against. Yeah. And and also I'm going to let John talk because I know he's biting and chomping at the bit. But, but also I feel like a lot of the dialogue and the writing and even just the story of Quay Jim, it felt cheesy to me. It just, John, help, help me out here, man. Talk, talk me off the ledge. <laughs> I don't think I can, man. You've already jumped. <laughs> I don't know, man. Like, I, I guess, I guess, I went into this with no expectations, and I was pleasantly surprised uh, when he said "brother." And I know he did say "not biological," but it was totally opposite. But I, I agreed. I liked that. I did like it. I don't, I don't, I don't know how to explain it. It, it was like the differences balanced each other out. If that makes sense. And I kind of got it as Book was the older brother. So maybe it was a situation where he kind of raised him or kind of took him under his wing when he was on the planet. Yeah, but I I, I just I, I couldn't. And I wanted trust me, I wanted to embrace it for all, for all the obvious reasons for anybody that knows me. I wanted to embrace it, but I just didn't feel the chemistry between the two, regardless of the age difference because 
you know, I just didn't feel it. Yeah. That's kind of what I'm thinking too. It all felt kind of forced, but you can also look at it like, so, I mean, I could call Clarence my brother as well, but it's not necessarily that we'd have great chemistry because we're not really family. You know what I mean? He, I think, I think, I think you can get thrown off by that word brother. Would you guys feel any better if he had just said my good friend or my best friend or my it, it, that honestly that might would have made it feel better for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and even he makes a statement at the end of the episode. Why are you using that word? You know that's the wrong word to be using. You right. know? Matter of fact, he said it. Yeah, cheesy, corny. Yeah, so I don't know. Maybe and, that's it. And, and and maybe their and maybe their angle it was to present exactly what we're feeling is that it didn't come across, which I don't know why that would have been an angle, but hey, it may have been. But it came across cheesy because that's what they intended. And, I mean, he said as much when she asked him, when Burnham asked him about, you know, what if, I don't remember the exact words, basically, what if it came to a point where you had to do something to save your brother or the planet? He said, my planet is starving. That's what I care about. I don't care about him, basically. Yeah, he, he was he was between a rock and a hard place for sure. So I, I you know I give him the pass on that part anyway. So I think if they had played up the relationship too much, I think it would have kind of cut out the leeway they had with Book's character. Yeah. Also, I would have loved a mention of it before this episode. Yeah. It's like they started writing episodes and they got to this one like, oh, we can he can have a brother. That's why he can go to, go to the planet. You know, would have been much more cooler if it had been like an ex wife. Ooh. <laughs> or old flame <laughs> that would have been really good and, you know and that goes to what what, what I said before it's just like the writing could have been a little better on why he's going there and how he got lowered in it just felt co- cookie cutter and I know the, this is you know well I talked about the writers before but you know I, I just feel like the writing could have been a little more gelled and, and, and that kind of made the episode a little bit worse than it should have been. All right. So one last thing I'm going to hold to my guns and say it again, no fault to the actors, but I think it, I think the story would have been different had you had a different brother actor playing the role, because I think I would have loved, loved the whole story. So that's interesting. Stand, stand by my guns there. Let me ask you the question. The problem I had with it and you guys hadn't mentioned, does nobody have a problem with these, "Quote unquote sea locust." Well, they were definitely playing on some biblical touchstones there with the locusts and the and the um, the food and the fields, and they definitely were touching on that. But what I don't get, you know, you look at the whole resolution of what they did to get these locusts back to sea. They have a whole planet full of these empaths. Uh, presumably, I'm, I'm getting we only because no, there's only only certain one of them. He said that in that first episode or second episode, and only certain some of his people have that ability. Are you kidding me? So we saw the only two on the planet that could do it. No, I'm sure no they had more, no, but they needed the uh, the 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 projection thing. Right. <sighs> I didn't catch that little line. I yeah, he did mention that when they were. Matter of fact, when they were running from the. Andorians and all that in the first in the episode where they he tried to sell Burnham out and he had to communicate with the something in the water. I don't know. I don't anyway, know. he did the little thing and she asked what it was it and he said a certain species, certain people on my planet have this ability and certain ones don't. Uh, okay, I don't buy it. 
I just wanted them to have a better visual representation of these sea locusts. <laughs> that was my problem. Yeah, and well, that that gets to the core of what I I thought the planet just didn't feel alien to me. The locusts were cheesy. The best parts of the of, of Quajim was seeing them shoot at it and seeing it from space. I, I think the visual of the planet was pretty cool. They just like tenant some forest they were in. I don't know. <laughs> they look all they look all brown and folly. I don't know. <laughs> uh, talk me down, man. Talk me down. And their defense system was pretty good. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty cool. That was pretty cool. I'll give you that much. Although Osara made Swiss cheese of it, but and that's that's my second qualm about this episode. Man, we're complaining a lot. I'm sorry if you're listening. We're just talking it out, <laughs> but. I'm sorry, man. Asira just does not feel menacing to me at all. Not in the least. I'm like, you could like had her, I guess her feeding her nephew to the transworm was supposed to give us that. Ooh, I'm scared of her now, but yeah. I I I kind of bought her. I, I I thought she sold the part because I did not like her. And, and that's my gauge of whether or not I think the part you know, the actor did a good part is if I don't like you because I'm supposed to not like you. And I did not like her. So I didn't have a problem with her. Could she have been cast better? Probably. Uh, She just didn't have that mean look to her, but also because she didn't makes that makes her even more dangerous. Oh, see, with all due respect, I totally disagree with you, Jonathan. And again, all due respect, Um, I thought she commanded the room just pretty much when she said what she said about either stay or go or do or whatever. If you were really here, you would have done this and that and whatever and then left. Um, I don't know. I I, I agree with you. I agree with like she commanded the room like she did what she was supposed to do. I'm just saying, like, if you were to walk up on her in the streets, you would not take her as a threat. Not at all. And people like that, if she has a way with words about her that can incite fear into people, makes that a good villain. A villain yeah. that can smile in your face and scare you to death is the worst type. And that's yeah. what I got from her. Like they could have cast her to be a better looking villain, but because she had that easy look on the eyes, yeah, and still able to portray a villain was a good thing. Yeah, I don't know. I kind of wanted her to be a little bit more menacing in the way she portrayed the role and maybe feel a little bit more sneaky or sinister. But I just she's just like she's somebody with a bunch of power that was going to blow up some people. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, man. But, but but is that a bad thing, though? Why do why do they have to always if they're a bad guy? And I'm not saying that you think that they should be this, but I'm just this just popped into my head. But why do they always have to have an eye patch or have to have a scar or have to have a gruffy <laughs> voice or whatever the case may be to be a bad guy? Kyle, I like my villains twirling their mustache. Okay, exactly. If they're not doing that. They're out the door. Well, listen, we've already discussed on a previous episode of Discussing Trek uh, when we were talking about the villains, and we really couldn't put our finger on just an absolute villain. Like every villain we can think of in Star Trek really didn't look like that eye patch scar across the eye villain. I I mean, other than like a clean on maybe, but I mean, my most hated villain was Kyle Wynn, and she looked like a little old grandma. 
Yeah, true. But I don't know, man. When I saw George Joe, I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be heck to pay for real. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so Detmer goes rogue or with Tilly's permission, she takes bookship and goes out and pretty much utterly decimates the Osiris ship while it doesn't move one inch. I'm like, what is even going on here? What is going on here? Uh, it, it, it basically felt like the Millennium Falcon against like an Imperial Destroyer. That's that's a total vibe I got. And, but I guess we got uh, some growth from Detmer in that scene, maybe. Any I love thought? that scene, man. <sighs> yeah, I like the scene. I thought I did get the Star Wars vibe. I, you know, I felt more of the TIE fighter flying through the Death Star kind of thing. I, uh, but I liked that. And I agree that it was, um, especially when she took the manual controlled. I love, I, I loved, but, but, but I loved it. I thought it was cool. And I mean, with a ship that size, you can't expect it to do much damage. The only things you can do is destroy critical systems enough for them to pretty much go away. I don't think they expected to do anything major damage. Lame. It, look, usually when you have a ship, because the ship looked pretty big, right? It couldn't maneuver, it definitely couldn't re- maneuver with book ship. But usually when you have a ship that big, they have smaller ships that come out and defend it when it's in this type of situation. Not so, a trick. Yeah, I know, but they played it like a Star, Star Wars fight. They didn't. <laughs> the ship didn't move one inch the whole time while I was getting towed up. You had an instance on DS9 where they had the Red Squad commanding that other Defiant ship, and they were taking on the uh, Dominion's big, huge, experimental, theoretical ship, which they failed miserably. But it was the same, same, almost the same exact sequence. They were flying down the belly of the ship, shooting off shots, turning around, coming back, because that's all they could do. They were aiming for a certain clamp that controlled the something, but they couldn't hit it. I don't know, man. The Defiant did it when they were coming back on that last battle with the Starfleet's uh, crew. I mean, the Starfleet's army, and they flew down the Cardassian ship like that. So, I mean, it's I've seen it a lot in Star Trek. I mean, I I get it. It. It's different when it's a bunch of ships. When it's just one, I don't know. It just didn't feel right to me. I, I thought it was kind of like, but <sighs> but but we have one moment in there that I just I don't. I just think the writing was bad in this episode. So Detmer turns and tells Ren, "If you face something, you can beat it." That's exactly what we're gonna do right now. <laughs> yeah, that was a letdown. <laughs> 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 what? <laughs> That was completely unnecessary in the moment. I mean, obviously, it was her finding herself again, and I like that part of it because you know, at the get, at the end, we see her in a mess hall bragging about it, and you know, I, I felt good for her character, but the line was just super cheeseball to me. Cal, thoughts? Yeah, I feel like we're beating up on this poor episode. <laughs> I really do. I mean, do do I agree with you? Yes, I do agree with you. But I, I'm I'm struggling to find some positive balance and counterbalance for for the comments that you guys are making, which are totally a hundred percent on point. You're a hundred percent right. But I just feel like we're beating up on this poor episode. Well, I'm not beating up, but I, I, I do agree with you on the Detmer line, like. My problem is not not even that it was cheesy. It was 
just not placed well. Like my first thought was, you know nothing about this guy. Yeah. Like y'all hadn't really formed a bond or a relationship. Like, and you just in the heat of the moment, you decide to give some <laughs> motivational advice. Like, you know, <laughs> I, I don't get it. I, I don't get it. So if I were in her shoes and I was doing what she was doing, giving motivational quotes to someone I don't even know would be the last thing on my mind because I would be spazzing out left, right, center and backwards. Which, again, it made sense for her character to come to that realization for herself. But the fact that she's giving this other dude advice just felt weird. So let's talk talk a little bit about Ren. Thoughts of Ren in this episode. Because, oh, Ren has a really big secret. He doesn't want to tell Saru. You really oh. hate the Federation. Uh, but the secret, was the secret worth it? Yeah, there goes another problem. I did. See, I wasn't thinking of <laughs> Golly. <laughs> he, he, he said, I'm the only one that knows. <laughs> really? The whole galaxy knows. <laughs> Emerald Chain didn't just have that lithium all of a sudden. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, that did. That was a bit. Uh, and I enjoyed the episode the first time I watched it. But when I watched it again, I was like, what? <laughs> But I think we got all the bad parts of the episode out of the way. We're going to get to the better stuff, I think. Or what's left, I think, is it's pretty pretty interesting. But, like, really? She was going to destroy a planet, a Federation ship, and kill people because he knows they're running low on gas. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, that was terrible. I, I, yeah. Oh, my. <laughs> Don't tell anybody, but my gas hand is on E right now. Oh, boy. Oh. I'm sorry, man. So, all right, let's get back on track, guys. What what are our thoughts on Sylvia Tilly as acting first officer? Homegirl is growing into her role. Absolutely. Absolutely. Bravo. One of the best parts of the freaking episode was seeing her freaking take control. And speaking of Ren, Ren coming in there, you know, not showing the proper <laughs> respect on the rules name. And she immediately, uh-uh. <laughs> Best moment of the entire episode. I am loving this change in Tilly, man. And, you know, honestly, for me, I couldn't see it. I just couldn't see it. But she's done it, man. Uh, props to Mary Wiseman. Yes. She has freaking done it, dude. And to me, the biggest growth moment for, in my eyes what I look for in a good quality first officer. So Saru was faced with a problem. What was he going to do about Osira? She was going to destroy this planet, kill his crew member, and he had to do something. Was it disobey Starfleet or let him die? And he was forced in that decision and he made the right decision. Hey, screw Starfleet. We got to save our people. That's really what we need to do. And But she, being a good first officer, came up with a alternate plan in the gray area you know, most most people like in Saru's case, Saru is just very much cut and dry. You, and Giorgio mentioned that he needed someone like Burnham that could be in that gray area a little bit. I was worried that that might be the problems Hilly would have as first officer. 
but she was able to operate in that gray area and be okay with it and thought about it quickly. But see, here's the difference between Tilly and Burnham. Yes, they both can operate in that gray area, but I think Tilly has the ability to operate in the gray area and not be the center of attention or be the center of the act, maybe center of the action, not attention. Yeah. Whereas Tilly can stay on the ship and let somebody else go do it. Burnham would have wanted to be the one to go do it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that's often where some of the best captains in Starfleet operate by, you know, not always in a gray area, but right at that edge, you mm-hmm. know, because so, sometimes you ha- you're forced to. It's not all cut and dry. So, And that, and we know that's not Saru. Like, Saru is not going to be a gray area captain. He's either going to be all the way or none of the way. Like, he was either going to completely follow Starfleet order or he was going to completely disobey. So, well, I guess, I guess you can say he did kind of disobey um Vance's orders but he was he was disobeying Vance in in adherence to Starfleet protocol you know when they were attacking the planet he was even making the notion to to fire back before Tilly's suggestion yeah and that's that's what I'm saying like he did there wasn't a gray area like if he was going to fire back that was complete disobedience like he couldn't go back and say well you know there was this he disobeyed an order, and it was for a good reason. I get it, but he was doing it in adherence to Starfleet protocol. Right. So I think he kind of, when all those fellows follow Starfleet, what Starfleet says, do you know? As far as you know, protocol and things like that. So, yeah, yeah, I thought that was great. That was great to see Tilly come up with that. So kudos to her. Now I was worried in the very first scene that he was using Tilly as a secretary. Yeah, yeah. So we hadn't really seen that much in first officers in Trek. It's like they're keeping up with the captain's stuff like that. You know what I mean? Uh, I mean, that's kind of what Rocker did. I mean, he managed, he basically managed the crew, managed the ship operations. And I think that's kind of what Tilly was starting to do, give the report back to the captain. So that's kind of what they do. But so here's another thing you need to realize she doesn't have the training that all these other number ones have. So she's got to have some type of training, whether it looks secretarial or not. She's got to have some kind of training from ensign to first officer. Right. So let's talk about that Saru catchphrase. Uh, So, oh my God, this felt just, this felt straight out of lower decks to me. (laughs) It was good, kind of, but it was a little too self-referential to me. What, what are you guys' thoughts? I thought it fit him because he is kind of different. Because remember, this is the first non-human captain that we've seen. So it worked for me. What about you, John? Uh <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have a problem with it, but why is this important? <laughs> Captain, do you want me to execute? <laughs> <laughs> it was funny. I give him that much. It was really my, funny. My favorite one when he talking about hit it. Tilly said, "No, you put your own spin on it. Like hit it." <laughs> oh my god! If he hey. said that, if he said it like that, I'd be done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Saru is already awkward. Don't 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 mess that man up words. You know? So the question I wanted to ask you guys when we got to this part, what do you think his catchphrase should be? 
Oh man, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what they come up with. Um, but I really have no idea what would fit Saru because pretty much by the time you get the TNG, everybody just settles on engage, you know? Yeah. So I don't know, dude. It, it, it should be interesting to see what they come up with. But you know, I I hmm. think it was cool of them to have that awkward uh, comedy relief in the episode as well. I I, I appreciate it, even though it felt kind of out of place. <laughs> And then they threw in manifest. <laughs> Sit in a course. Manifest. Oh my God. So bad. So bad. Oh, so we did get some more information about the burn. We learned the burn started in the Virium Nebula, which has intense radiation, unstable magnetic fields. What are you guys' thoughts on this discovery, including the embedded signal and song? And I'll start with you, Kyle. What did you think, man? Okay, so here's something that I do like about what they're doing on this this series as a whole, but specifically for this season, is they're laying out a mystery that is going across the entire course, it seems, of the entire season. And this is something that New Who traditionally has done very well, and I'm loving seeing it here. I love the music mystery. So that's my answer to your question. I love the music mystery. I might have a who rebuttal for you, sir. Okay. Uh, but but John, John, you go first. What, what did you think of that? The song and the signal? Um, I didn't really think much about it. I, I'm hoping we're not getting into this thing where we take drag it out too long. Uh, I mean, we were hoping they didn't drag the burn out too long and they kind of gave us an answer, yeah. but I'm, I'm ready to hear an answer about this song. I'm kind of tired of hearing about this song. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that's, that's the only part of it. And the other part, of, I, I hate that we didn't spend a little more time in this mystery. And I know they are writing an algorithm to figure this out, but it took the whole episode to do and they got no more answers. So it seemed kind of drug out to me. Yeah, it was things about this scene that I liked. And I hate to keep saying it. it's, it's it just feels sloppy to me in a lot of ways. And I get where they're going with this music. You know, oh, we had the Barzan family singing it. We had... Uh, Adira singing it or playing it as well. Um, I hate that. And I hope they give a good explanation. But for me, Cal mentioned Doctor Who. To me, it just seems too whimsical for Star Trek. Again, we do have that type of th- things on Doctor Who, but it's more fantasy than science fiction, if that makes any sense. Some of it, but see, some of no, but, but, but some of the things that I'm referring to are little things that you don't notice until you go back and you watch, you know, back, um, you know, you watch again and you pick up case in point uh, in the 2005 series, they say a name and the uh, 12th to 13th episode, you know, the finale that you don't find out. uh, You hear that name again in the third season and realize they've been planting this for three years. That kind of stuff is what I'm talking about. And that's not necessarily fantastical. Now, I do know that later on there is some fantasy stuff that they get into in Doctor Who. So I agree with you there. But I'm referring to more like the little droplets that they put that you come breadcrumbs that you come back to. Yeah. I mean, I do like it from a breadcrumb point of view, but it's the explanation is what really nails it for me. And 
I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe they'll explain it, or maybe it's just a popular song that everybody knows. I don't know. But what if it's some kind of ooh? What if it's some kind of something that's tied into the the psychic worm things and books and pathic abilities? Maybe, maybe. Like hmm. I said, they can they can explain it away, and I'll be okay with it. But for for me right now, it feels too. It feels more fantasy than science fiction, which is okay. Um, but also in this entire scene, I feel like there's way too much techno babble. Uh, you can do this, you know, uh, the the home in all that techno, and we can figure out where this neutron star is, and there's a federation ship in there. Oh, you know, they just kind of talk this through. <laughs> it, it's fine, but it just felt like I was getting just beat up with techno babble in that whole scene. Which is fine if they don't drag it out. Like, if this continues to drag out, we're going to start beating on this song more and more. Yeah. You know, I mean, we already, it was it was a great, interesting plot point when we first figured out there was a connection. But now we're kind of like, okay, you guys are killing me with the song. Why is it important? And again, like I said about the burn and goes back to like the Spock thing. Like, if you keep going more and more with the mystery, we keep expecting a bigger mystery. And then it's going to get to a point where no explanation is going to satisfy, satisfy. the buildup. Yeah. The payoff has to be good if you're going to keep doing us like this. Right. So, John, you just briefly mentioned it. Let's go ahead and talk about they, Adira. So, Adira, Blue Del Barrio, gives a revelation that we've been looking for since the beginning of the show. You know, the showrunners announced it that it would be they, them, you know, non binary versus. You know, kind of what we got early in the show, it was they were saying actually she. So I think that was pretty cool to see that come to fruition. You know, for me, I probably would like a little earlier, but, you know, I guess it's not for me to decide. You know, they maybe this was a way for the audience to know that people announced that revelation to other people in their family, friends in their own time. So I'm, I'm cool with that. It was interesting nonetheless. So, yeah, it's going to be cool to see where they go with Adira in the future. But let's go ahead and uh, we see where Adira and Stem has continued to foster their relationship, which feels weird to me. They have the little whole keyboard music or piano music thing. Um, and Gray is apparently hiding from Adira. I really have no clue on why that's happening. Do you have any thoughts on that? So I'm still thinking this is... I, I, on, I mean, on the Discovery, on this season, they're kind of making it seem like Gray is actually there, and I don't think he is. I think it's, I mean, what we learned from DS9, it's just, I think uh, Esri had the same issues when they're just joined abruptly. They have issues kind of separating that. Like, in her head, he's there. And she 100, well, they 100% believe that he's there, and they don't know how to kind of absolve that mentally and when they say he's hiding from me it's not that he's hiding it's just that part in the brain has turned off see i've never thought that that they were presenting it that he was physically or you know there i i from the very beginning thought that it was a manifestation of her psyche that they for all intents and purposes thought that the other character was there but not really now, as a joint trio, you can you can actually talk to your previous host. Like, actually, it's not a, and I guess it kind of is a mental thing, but it's it's more in depth than that. It's it's not like a issue. It's not like a like you're just fostering up 
past memories. Like you can really talk to the other person inside the symbiote, the memories of that person. So, and I think that's what they're doing. They just don't realize it yet. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I again, <laughs> it's another thing I really have no idea where they're going with. Um, but hopefully they'll make it interesting. Hopefully they'll make it. And it's been interesting so far. I just want to, I want to see more gray and I want to see more of these other um, uh, talls that, that are within them. You know, I think, I think all of them seem pretty cool. You know, the tease we got in the what third or fourth episode. So yeah, I, I don't know where they're going, but you know, it should be interesting to see where it lands. And I'd be glad when they grow into this tall symbiont a little more and get that confidence of hundreds of years of experience. Like you, you can't beat that swagger that Jadzia Dax had because of it. You know what I mean? Like she just alluded a confidence about her. Yeah. Stamus is already saying she's an artist in the room. So it's now I see why they have her because, because we really need someone for Stamets to bounce off of now that Tilly is on the bridge. So it's kind of like a Tilly replacement in a way, but yeah. we'll, we'll see where they go with it. We'll see. But I want to give a final thought on this episode because as much as Burnham didn't know her place or couldn't find her place um, before the previous episode, I think we're at the point now where Burnham's antics not really antics her her year in the future by herself is starting to rub off on everyone else a little bit i mean we even see that with book uh wanting to come to be a part of of discovery um now that he sees what they're all about and you know i even think she's rubbing off on saru and tilly a little bit um in some ways so um yeah i think i think we're at a good place in you know now we'll see what <laughs> what happens. I mean, beautiful. You know, it's funny you bring up Burnham. You know, Kyle mentioned earlier that she usually likes to be the center of the action. And but if you notice, we hadn't mentioned Burnham not one time until now. This is true. I think Cal yeah. Cal brought her up just as you know. Right. I, I mean, she really didn't have a major part in this episode. That's true. This is true. Yeah, I can agree with that. And I think we need those episodes. Yes. I, I, I may have even would have liked it if she wouldn't even went down to the surface. But of course, it's book. She had to go down there because it was book. But but yeah, I'm I'm ready to continue to dive into more of these characters. You know, we got Deadmer. We got a lot of Tilly. I just want that stuff to be more impactful and not just like, oh, we need to talk about this character. Let's throw this in here, you know? <laughs> yeah. And they need to quit picking on my buddy Linus, man. Man, lying and shit everywhere, bro. <laughs> and then Burnham tells the little kids, you can even peel a piece of his face. Oh, boy. <laughs> Why does he be kicked off the ship? <laughs> he keeps randomly transporting to people's rooms and shedding. And Linus is causing all type of trouble. Oh, boy. So, you know, you, you posted something in Slack about the uh, personal logs. Yeah, yeah, those are on the uh, Discovery Instagram account where they post all those logs each week. Yeah, did you listen? You didn't have. I just randomly clicked on Linus's, and he has a very strong drive to impress Giorgio. Really? Huh. Interesting. And he did something to make her mad. I don't know what it was. I, I think, and I may be wrong, but I think he like 
a piece of his skin flaked off in her food or something, <laughs> and she stopped talking to him for a while. <laughs> That's and so he, he had been doing all he could to get back in her good graces. So I don't know what that's about. But. Uh, yeah, those logs are pretty interesting. Uh, some of them are inspiring. And some of them are just silly, like Linus's. So, yeah, yeah, I'm enjoying those. They need to keep those coming. <laughs> and I'll put the link if nobody's seen them. I'll put the link in our show notes if y'all want to check those out as well. But let's go ahead and wrap this thing up. Let's go around the horn and get ratings. I will start 3.0. That's my rating. Wow. What about you guys? Jonathan, what do you think? I'm kicking you off the show, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I came in with a strong at least 4.8. Oh, wow. Wow. But after talking to you guys. <laughs> Let me bring you down, man. I, well, I mean, you, you pointed out some good things. So here's what I've been trying to do. I've been trying to watch these episodes just for what they were. Like we keep saying, they've become more and more like a, just a classic trick episode. And I've been sitting down watching them as such. So for that reason, I've really enjoyed this episode. But if you want to get into detail, the writing could have been better. There was a lot of things that seemed forced. Uh, and there was a couple issues that they drug on a little too long. So for that reason, I'll probably put it at a four. All right. Cal Jones, what do you think, man? I'm going to stick with your three. Um, <laughs> I I enjoyed it on first watch. I didn't watch it a second time. And I will say everything, Clarence, that you've, you've said previously, I will just leave it as a three and leave it at that. All right. Well, with that, let's go around the horn and see what everybody Wait, 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 wait. Cal, we need to know what the bucket of water thing was. Okay. So... The bucket of water. I said, where's the bucket of water when you need one, right? So Osira was green, right? Okay. And if we had a bucket of water at the beginning and somebody just beam over to her ship, throw the bucket of water on it, she melts and the episode's over because she was a witch. And that movie came out in 1939 or that version of Wizard of Oz. And I never would have got that. (laughs) No. Well, there you go. So I Googled 1939, like all the important things. And there was like World War II and executions and sicknesses and wildfires. And- oh, I went to Google when you said that you were doing that, Jonathan. I went to Google and I uh, Googled 1939 bucket of water. And the first picture that popped up was a picture of Dorothy throwing the water on the witch. Really? <laughs> okay. All right. I see what you did there. <laughs> All right. With that, let's go around the horn and see what everybody has been working on podcast related or otherwise. Let's start with you, Cal. You know what? I will point everyone, and I hope I'm not stealing yours, but I, I will point everyone to the Relativity podcast because I was able to participate in an episode yesterday of Relativity but the main Relativity podcast story has reached its conclusion. You can hear the entire story at relativitypodcast.com, and it stars, amongst others, our very own Clarence Brown. Yeah, yeah. Awesome sauce. John, what about you, man? Oh, man, uh, not much interesting here. Uh, I am still watching Away, which is a Netflix series, Netflix original, pretty good, about our 
Earth's first mission to Mars. Uh, so I advise you to watch that. And of course, I mentioned earlier, I started over on Enterprise. Uh, it's a long road, but I'm going to get there. I knew you were going to say that. I absolutely <laughs> knew you were going to say that. Uh, watch out for the haters, man. My and- ears are bleeding. <laughs> it's a great song, man. So two things I'm excited about I want to mention. Uh, number one, the new season of The Expanse starts on the 15th. So that'll be awesome. And uh, Seth MacFarlane announced that they have resumed filming of, you guess it, guys. The Orville. The Orville. So hopefully no no, uh, announcement on when the first episode will be released, but at least they're filming. So Yeah, they took a long hiatus. Yeah. A really long hiatus. But, you know, COVID. Uh, my shout out is going to be a show that I struggled through the first season, but I did find it semi satisfying by the time I got to the end. But I, I'm not even going to suggest people watch it. Maybe I don't know if you're in The Walking Dead. I watched The Walking Dead Beyond World season one, and it is the teenage angst Walking Dead. Basically, that's what it is. But it was kind of interesting by the end of it. So if you're into that type of stuff, uh, check out The Walking Dead Beyond Worlds on. Anywhere AMC is streaming. Do you mind if I correct you? World Beyond. What did I say? Beyond World. <laughs> world Beyond. The Walking <laughs> Thank you, Cal. You're welcome, sir. <laughs> Are you a fan? I, I must know. Do you like it? I agree with the Ting angst. I did watch all of it, and I would be interested to hear your thoughts further. But, uh, yeah, I, I, as you know, break the record and say it again, I agree with everything you just said. Awesome. All right, guys. Well, uh, if you uh, like the show, be sure to subscribe and like on any platform you might be listening. Check us out on any and all social medias at Discussing Trek or send fan mail in to fans at DiscussingTrek.com. Thank you for being on board for this review of Star Trek Discovery the Sanctuary. So until next time, guys, live long and prosper. Thanks for listening to the Discussing Trek podcast. For more information, go to discussingtrek.com slash subscribe. If you're interested in obscure and little-seen sci-fi television, you might enjoy our podcast, Continuum Drag. We're a recap and review podcast watching science fiction TV and TV movies from the 60s to now. We've covered Galactica 1980, Almost Human, The Quester Tapes, Space Above and Beyond, Genesis 2, Tech War, Planet of the Apes, and many more. You can get Continuum Drag wherever you get podcasts. Discussing Network.